What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Chats with the Freak. My name is Emmy, and this week I had a very, very fun episode with Ryan of the alternative rock band Little King. Um, it, it was a very insightful interview, and I, actually I had the tables turned on me, and he started asking me questions, which was pretty wild. So, um, yeah, I love this episode, and big shout-out to Ryan for coming on and having a great chat. So if you guys want to hear about his projects and different stuff like that and how I pick who I come on, who comes on my podcast and how I pick what goes up on MSU media. Uh, stay tuned and listen to all the nonsense, man. It was, it was a great episode. So stay tuned. Hey, hey. Hey, to you, my friend. What's good, man? How are you? All things being equal, I'm doing okay. That's me. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, hopefully, my um, how's my mic sounding over there? I want to make sure I set it up right. It's in. It's brilliant. It's in doubly. It sounds lovely. <laughs> oh my god, that's great! I like you already, man. Thanks for taking time um, to speak with me tonight. I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, don't don't get it twisted, my friend. I'm a royal pain in the ass. I'm just. I've had coffee in the afternoon, so I'm actually probably. A, at about my <laughs> about the best I can be. Yeah. I feel that I've been drinking caffeine today too. It just feels like a very sluggish day, you know what I mean? All day. <laughs> Yippers. Are you getting snow up there or what what's going on? Up there? Um we were starting to get a little bit. Um we they got hit Ridiculous. in Cleveland, which is about like two hours from me. Um and mm-hmm. I got a little bit of snow this morning, but other than that, nothing too crazy. Are you in Pittsburgh? Is that where yeah, you're yeah. Nice. I like Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh's cool. Yeah, yeah. I like the city a lot. I'm actually in the process of moving while well, I was until the whole Corona thing happened. And now I'm kind of like, uh, um, I'm moving, moving within the city or moving somewhere. Um, else? I'm actually moving up to New York um, for a while. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah, um, I'm still going to be doing a lot of stuff in like the Pittsburgh music scene and stuff. So I'll still be like local nice. to that. But yeah, for sure. I just it, literally I was supposed I had like three weeks until I was supposed to move. And then it was like, oh, we're shutting the entire country down. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. Are you moving to Manhattan or where are you going? Um, it's about an hour north um, of the city in a city called Fishkill. Um, it's like near Poughkeepsie. Okay. There's a theater up there that some musicians know, some don't. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm familiar with that with that area with Fishkill for sure. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, um, I'm supposed to. My day job is I'm a line cook, so I'm gonna be working at the Cracker Barrel up there. Nothing too glamorous. Nice, the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> that barrel life. Oh my god, my um, one of my best friends jokingly calls calls like me and a couple of my other friends the barrel bitches. <laughs> barrel bitches. We called. We call it the crackhead barrel internally here in my house. So we go to the crackhead. Literally, I'll be like, yo, I'm going to the crack house and then I'll be over. And people that don't know what I'm talking about, they'll be like, wait, what? I'm like, okay, it was a joke. I'm going. Like, to- oh my God, do you like need help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like somebody had me on like speakerphone. They were at their office and I guess like one huh. of their coworkers came in and they didn't tell me I was on speakerphone. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the crack house and I'll be down. I hear laughter. I was like, do you have me on speakerphone again? I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) That's freaking hilarious. Oh, my God. Love it, love it. Yeah, that barrel life, man. Oh, my God. It's going to kill me or keep me young. I don't know which way. 
I'm addicted to the sourdough French toast with a little side of hash brown casserole. It's like all the carbs for a week in one meal. It's the best. I'm not mad about that order. Definitely. That would be one of those. Okay. I'm not mad about this check. <laughs> yeah. That, I don't hate that person that I've never met. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, I get checks back sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, why are we get the fuck <laughs> out of here, kid? Yeah. 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 Like I yep. want an egg sandwich, but I want everything on the side, including the bread. Like, who yep. are you? Why? Just get some eggs and bread then for crying out loud. It's not that hard. Yeah, it's you know? crazy. Oh my God. Or we get these people that come in on Sundays that are like, oh, I want my eggs in between over easy and over medium. And it's like, okay, in the land of make-believe. <laughs> it's Disney barrel. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, literally. It's like, okay, you guys just like, and then they'll like order their steak like between medium and mid well. And I'm like, this does not exist. Well, maybe what you can do is um, turn this the podcast into your full-time gig. I mean, there's certainly a demand for doing these well and doing them competently. And I mean, trust me when I tell you, I've done a million and three of these this year. So, Oh, I bet. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been busy. So, um, I mean, there's a mar- you, I don't have to tell you. I'm preaching to the choir. You already know what's up. Yeah, yeah. We're de- there's definitely a need for it. And hopefully I'll be able to make it into a full-time gig. I also do um like band photography, which is also obviously on hold right now. But that's a big part of my life is like touring with different bands and doing different live performance photos and stuff like that. So hopefully nice. I'll be able to make that and like doing the podcasting a full gig at some point. You will. It'll happen. Well, I appreciate you being so confident in me. We've been friends for five minutes, and I'm well. About you don't know me that well yet, but you'll you'll see. That's kind of how I roll. I'm uh, in my day in my day gig. I own a team building company out in California, and so my job is to bring people together and teach them how to kind of be nice to each other, people who work together. So obviously, that's been shut down for a bit because of what's going on. You know, based in Silicon Valley, so my office is in San Jose. Um, and they were the first county to shut down, basically, in the United States. So I've been sitting here twiddling my thumbs for the past couple of months. But I think one of my strengths and skills is to pull people up and kind of give them the confidence and give them a little different look at, you know, the future and kind of how things are supposed to lay themselves out. Because, I mean, fuck, dude, how much time do you want to spend working for somebody else? I mean, we get one go round. I'm not like you know, a pearly gates guy. Like I'm pretty much get it while you're here, you know? Yeah. So it's like, how much time do you really want to spend, you know, grinding and doing something for someone else? I mean, the money always comes, I think when you're good at what you do and when you're, you know, when you're passionate, motivated about something. So I don't know, it just depends kind of on your station in life and where you came from and, you know, money obviously is always a consideration, but anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. No, I totally but, agree I, with that on a um, passion aspect just to make a comment on that. Um, because I get a lot of photographers that are like, oh, well, I've been doing this for like X amount of years or whatever, and I haven't made a dime on it. And I'm like, okay, but how much have you really been investing in your business or how much have you been investing in your product per se? Um, not even money-wise, but just time-wise and being able to be out there hustling and doing stuff for yourself and ma- trying to do something better. It's tough, but it always pays off in the long run. Well, back in the day, you know, in the 90s when I first started out, it was a really valuable commodity because no one had phones on their cameras. But now, you know, I mean, things are so advanced in terms of not only, you know, taking an actual picture, but the editing suites that are freaking right on your phone that, you know, it's one of those things that's tougher. I think that, you know, the scope has been narrowed a little bit of people who can actually do that for a living, but you can come on the road with me. I'm fun. 
if we ever get out, you know. Yeah, if we ever get back out, this sucks. Oh yeah. my god. I was um in the middle of a run when we got shut down because Ohio I think Ohio was one of the first states to shut down and I was up in Cleveland at a show the day they shut down. Like our show got shut down and right. I was like just like what the fuck just happened? Why? Yeah, what the fuck is right? Well, we lost festival dates and i mean everything else so are, are we rolling are you recording this right now? yeah yeah rolling? okay cool so yeah i was you know we were setting up festival dates and all that other good stuff and all of a sudden you know we got the word that first of all coachella canceled and that kind of set all the dominoes i think in motion uh when i heard that we sort of looked at each other and said uh probably time for plan b so i've been using the time to write songs like i don't know when we're getting back out and it kind of sucks because i haven't toured for a while like legitimately toured basically since, you know, mid 2000s. And so it's always been for me, like make the record and then tour, make a record then tour. Well, it hasn't happened for a while just because I've been doing other things with my life. Like I'm a dad, I was teaching high school for a while. I have a career, like I said, I'm a, you know, I have a team building company. So for me, it's, this was the time because this EP's done really well. Like people actually, they actually care. Like someone actually gives a shit this time. So it's like, okay, we're going to hit the road and do our thing and had all this stuff set up. And now it's all the creative energy kind of has to go towards making new songs which is cool i mean there's nothing i like more than that um quite honestly just because it's you know preserving shit for posterity and making sure that you know you're doing it properly and making sure you can get your message out and i'm a writer first so that to me is really important but yeah when when coachella went down and then all the other festivals started emailing us it was like wah, wah, wah. <laughs> right and you're dead so anyway yeah, no, I totally agree with that because it was like, oh, um, okay, so I had all this stuff lined up for like the next three months and now that's definitely gone, maybe more than that. Like, I don't know when I'm getting back out there and it's it's definitely a scary feeling. Like, I'm supposed to go on the road a little bit in Aug at the end of August, but it's like, who knows if that's going to happen or not, you know? I wouldn't plan. I wouldn't I know. plan. I, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe. I think, I think August is early. I think September and October, people will kind of dip their toe back in the water. But everybody that is anybody thinks there's going to be at least something of a second wave. So I don't know if it's going to be, you know, as deadly and as far reaching as this one has been. I think we'll be better prepared. I know remdesivir is that drug that is Gilead Sciences drug, which seems to have some efficacy. But that's once you get infected. I mean, obviously, there's not going to be a vaccine anytime soon. Uh, and an RNA-based vaccine has never existed. So they've got an uphill battle. But people live with the flu. People live with infectious diseases. I think it's just going to become a reality of our society. People are just going to change their norms, the way they social distance, the way they communicate with each other, the way they go out to restaurants and eat. All those things are going to change a little bit. And that's just the way life is going to be. But Americans are funny, aren't we? I mean, <laughs> we, you know, we pick and choose our things to protest against really very in, in, in very odd ways. So... I've been just kind of sitting back and even here in Delaware where I live, like people are protesting, opening the beaches. They were protesting yesterday. It's like, Jesus, just go home, relax. <laughs> you don't, you don't, the beach is not an essential service. Just chill out. It'll be soon enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's kind of funny to see different um, countries and I don't really have an opinion on this, but I see other, not countries, but other states that are um, arguing about, so you have like yeah. Michigan's over there like, oh, well, we want to go back to work. And then you have people like in Delaware that are like, why are you opening the beaches? No, we can't uh, open it's, early. It's like, what, what is going on? <laughs> well, our country's so politicized and so divided into blue and red that every single fucking issue in the universe, it seems like, or in this country, 
seems to have a blue slant and a red slant and everything gets put into one of those two boxes. And it's gross because I have friends, you know, lots of friends on both sides. If you actually sit down and talk to somebody, you'll find that, you know, you agree on most things, regardless of your political affiliation, you may have some differences of opinion here and there. And actually, you know, it's funny, that's kind of part of what the album, the, the Occam Spoil, the EP is about is doing a little bit more examination, a little more research, being okay with talking to people who have different opinions than your own, being open to different, you know, people who are educated and have knowledge. Now, I don't want to listen to the loudest voice necessarily. There are a lot of people who use social media and just whatever platform as a bullhorn, and they don't have a fucking clue as to what they're talking about. So those people don't get the time of day from me. But people who disagree with me that have a knowledge base or done some research or are just thoughtful people, it's a good thing to do to sit down and listen and to be educated and open your mind up a little bit. But it seems like everything, and this is like you were saying, this is being a prime example of lines being drawn, across, you know, between red and blue. And the, you know, the red people want to go back to work, and the blue people want to, you know, stay sheltered in fear in their homes. And and if you're on one side, you have to be on one side. If you're on the other side, you have to be on the other. And there's no crossover. And it's just. I don't know. It's garbage. Honestly, it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing that's happened in this country is how divided we become where it becomes even something like this is a freaking political football. It sucks. Right. Right. Yeah. Like there's no gray area anymore. And that's absolutely terrible. Well, and it's all fucking gray area at the end of the day. There yeah. are no absolutes, very few absolutes in life. Like maybe 10 commandments shit. Like don't kill your neighbor, you know, don't bang your neighbor's wife. Like those things are probably pretty good things to live by. Right. But right. the rest of it's kind of, you know, don't get COVID and cough in someone's mouth. Like there's some things you probably shouldn't do, but most everything else is, is pretty gray. I don't know. I just, yeah. I get, you know, you've had a lot of time to think, obviously we all have in the last eight weeks. And one of the things that, and again, I'm probably more engaged with social media now than I've ever been just because it's one of the things that you're doing to sort of fill time instead of going out and actually being like a real social person. And uh, just the amount of misinformation and the amount of, like I said, soapbox, bullhorn, shouting at the top of your lungs with absolutely no base of knowledge and no research done. It's really reinforced what I was writing or writing about last year when I wrote this album. I was like, damn, maybe actually I was being a little prescient. I may be right, you know? It, right, it right. Born itself out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And everyone's like now like a political, like, huge person into politics i know everything about the government it's like guys calm down <laughs> it's gonna be okay we're gonna get through everything together but they don't want to be together that's the thing people yeah. are much more much more interested in being right and having the last word the last laugh than they are actually being okay and that sucks that's not okay that's yeah, not what we're terrible yeah no that, that's absolutely terrible okay enough about politics though <laughs> I do want. I do want to talk to you about since you mentioned it, the EP that you kind of released. Like you kind of teetered on a little bit about what it's about. Um, sure. But can you tell me a little bit more about, like, more in depth about what what the EP is about? Sure. So every record that I've made since 1997 has been thematic in some way. They're never just collections of songs that are random and thrown together. They all have a through line. So. Back in the, you know, in the first one, which is called Trans Mountain, which is an abomination that only even my closest friends get to hear. It's like a demo, right? I listened back to that 23 years ago. I'm like, oh, my God, what was I doing? But <laughs> every record since then, all the way up through Occam's Foil, which is the new one, have a theme. And they're not necessarily cohesive concept albums, although Time Extension in 98 was and Virus Divine in 2003 kind of was. But they at least are all related. And so Occam's Razor is a very old, very famous very basic theory, which is the keep it simple, stupid theory. It is 
the the most uh, simple answer is usually the correct one, absent extenuating circumstances or more information. So. Uh, you could say it's used in medical diagnoses a lot, Occam's razor. So someone comes into the office uh, pre-2020, but because someone comes into your office with a cold or, w- or with a cough, you know, and they're sneezing, they most likely have allergies or a cold and, and not, you know, tuberculosis. So Occam was a friar from the 1300s. And in 1347, Occam's razor was published. And so this has lasted 700 years to keep it simple, stupid theory. So to me, it is a lot of what we were just talking about is it's given people an excuse to just take things at face value and not necessarily do more research, not necessarily attain or uh, entertain divergent or opposing opinions. It has pervaded every aspect of our society. And, and so the foil to anything, whether it's in literature or whatever, you know, in movies, the foil is sort of the counter argument. So Occam's Foil, the EP, the songs are sort of the counter argument to that simplicity to Occam's Razor. So each one of the songs has a different sort of bent on that. So Hate Counter is a very political song and it was motivated. Uh, we were recording down in El Paso, Texas, which is one of my many former hometowns, but all six records have been recorded in El Paso. No matter where I live in the world, I always go down there to, to track and, and to mix. So I, uh, you know, we saw the migrant kids being held in camps in El Paso, uh, you know, the, the people that were coming here for asylum. And we saw the shooting at Walmart last July where 20 some odd El Pasoans were killed by a white supremacist um, asshole from from Dallas. And so hate counter was motivated by that. So there's some you know commentary on religion and even gun control and things like that. Um, the skin that I'm in is is the second track, and that relates to relationships. And Forgotten Mile is a Delaware-based song. It's Forgotten Mile is actually an area of Delaware that I used to live in. It's it's the name of a small little neighborhood. So all of the songs in there are the counter-argument to simplicity, and I think that pervades my music. Hopefully it pervades my lyrics. I don't think you can get everything that you're supposed to get out of just one listener, a little King record. I think they bear closer examination. And I understand that not everybody listens to music for the same reasons and, and with the same intent. Sometimes people love background music. Sometimes people just want to be able to tap a toe or sing along and that's cool. And I try to achieve that with my compositions to a certain degree, but that's certainly much less important than is having someone examine things, their own behavior, other people's behavior, my music, my words, whatever's going on, just giving them a little impetus to think a little bit more deeply. And that's, that's really the, the through line, as I said, or the theme of, uh, of Occam's Foil. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how would you say that, um, the EP is different from your other releases. I know you've been making music for a long time, and I know that's a really loaded question. But Yeah. It's totally loaded, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not loaded at all. It's a great question. I think it's a – I don't want to be – I don't want to reach. I mean, first of all, the, the content of the album, it's 20 minutes long, so it's truly an EP. I've always made full lengths um, – you know, 40 minutes plus of music, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 songs in the past. And then in 2014, I released a little EP, just three songs called OD1. And OD1 was sort of a passing through from moving from the East Coast to, or West Coast to the East Coast. And I had some time and I had some songs written. So I tracked that. But this is the first time I've tried to make a full statement within 20 minutes as opposed to 40 minutes. So shorter uh, songs, maybe a few less, a couple, three, four less songs. So trying to balance that shortness of the length of the record and making sure that I touch a bunch of different genres of music and a bunch of different lyrical themes, again, within the, the overall, the overarching theme of Occam's, Occam's Spoil. I think that was a challenge and made it different. 
is the first time uh, the bass player, this particular bass player has played with me. His name is Manny uh, Tejeda, and he lives down in Delaware with me, very close by. And he's a very good friend, and he's Dominican, and also into a lot of metal and some different kinds of music that I might not necessarily be into. He's 10 years younger than me, so he has just a little bit different upbringing. And of course, he was raised in the Dominican, although he's an American citizen. But so he brings a little different, I would say, rhythmic sensibility, Caribbean, Latin kind of rhythmic sensibility, as well as some different, you know, kinds of metal like Korn and Sepultura and, and bands like that that I don't necessarily listen to as much. So I think that had a major influence. He's also an excellent singer. So you hear a lot of him doing harmonies on the record, which I've had people in the past sing harmonies. They're mostly guest musicians. But for this one, Manny basically sings backup, uh, backing vocals on every song. So I think that's different. I think there's a little more maybe aggressive nature, a little more introspective with the lyrics. All of those things may be apparent to me. I don't know that someone who's familiar with my music would necessarily pick up all those things right away. But I will say this, I mean, it's like it's definitely the most confident record I've ever made. I came out of there knowing we kind of crushed it, whereas sometimes you have some trepidation that I have in the past walking out and say, God, I hope people like this. So, you know, I hope we did the best we could. I didn't have any misgivings or, or second guessing or, or reservations when this one was finished. We sort of came out of came out of the studio saying, I think people are really going to dig it. And you know what they have. It's it's probably the best reception that I've ever had for a record. So I don't want to sound evasive. Hopefully those answers are good enough. But, you know, it's hard for me to like you said, it's a little bit of a loaded question, but I think those are the those are the things that I think are different about um, Occam than my previous albums. Yeah, no, that, that that's a great answer, and I love that. I love the fact that you're so confident about it too, because being being so confident in like a something that you make or a product, for a lack of better term, um, is always such a very fulfilling feeling, and I love that. Well, when you at when you've been at something for a long time, and I remember releasing my second record, Time Extension, again that was 1998, and I really cared a lot about what people thought of. I mean, I was like. I wanted to make it in the business. I didn't have a fucking clue as to what that actually meant, but I right. wanted to be something in, in music. And I was so not ready to make the best music. I was a decent writer. I was certainly, I think, a good guitar player, but I wasn't a very good singer. I wasn't as confident. And I was really trying to write a bunch of different styles songs to see kind of what would fit within the context of a rock album. Now I really don't give a shit, honestly. I don't make music for an audience. I make music that I can pass down to my kids and my kids' kids' kids, and the words and the music will resonate, hopefully. They'll know that it's a very honest effort. It doesn't have to be everybody's cup of tea, but I make music for myself. I make music to satisfy my sort of OCD nature as a, as a musician as well as kind of someone that just needs to constantly be productive. If left to my own ends and not being productive, I sort of – you know, decompose a little bit. It's not, it's not who I am. So I now care much less about the receptivity. And of course, like everything else, when you don't really care what people think, then of course, everybody wants to tell you what they think. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's funny how that, how that works. But no, I, 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 for the maybe second time in making an album, I didn't really care. This was just sort of for fun and for me and for our fans and for our friends and our families. And lo and behold, people really have, have attached themselves to it. And everybody I know has found one or two songs that they can really relate to. And that's super gratifying to me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's definitely a very um, reassuring feeling. And that's great when people can relate to the music that you're writing and the music that you're putting out to. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you've been doing music since um, the late 90s, obviously. Um, how would you say like the music industry has changed since then? Because obviously there was um, a lot less technology. People didn't have cell phones or Facebook. And I kind of just wanted to see what you thought on how it kind of morphed. 
Well, the obvious thing is what you just said. Social media didn't exist back then. File sharing didn't exist. That was, you know, my first record came out in 97 and it was recorded to a digital recorder. And then another one in 98, it was digital and mixed analog. So actually we used two inch tape um, in 1998 to mix. And so never mind the recording technology in terms of how much things have changed. The technology with promotion of music and and we used to fly our cars. I mean, we'd go to Kinko's or FedEx or whatever the hell it was back in the day, and you'd make flyers and you'd cut them up into quarter pages and you'd you know slap them all over cars at the clubs and you know in the neighborhoods three weeks before a show. That was the extent of how we promoted and send press releases to newspapers, like actual real physical newspapers, <laughs> right, with paper and ink and shit. And so right. the promotion of stuff was so much more difficult and so much less. I would say viral for lack of a better word, you really had to grind to get the word out. You couldn't book shows online. There was no online or it was dial up in 1997. Most yeah. people didn't have a home computer. I had a compact Rosario. I think it was my first computer. That was probably 1998 or even 99. So I didn't even have a home computer in the nineties. I think it's there are pros and cons to it. As I said, it's much easier to get the word out, uh, much easier to find people like you in Pittsburgh or people in the UK or people in Asia that are maybe interested in the kind of music I make. But the ease with which recordings can be made now and how easily they can be manipulated uh, by computers and by technology, I think, has set us back a little bit in terms of the quality. I think there's a lot more quantity. It used to be pretty expensive to make and release a record. Now it's very cheap to make and release a record. I think people rely too much on technology rather than actually learning how to play their instruments a lot of the time, you know, relying on compositional theory and compositional, you know, skills and taking some chances. I think it's really easy to cut and paste and move things around in Pro Tools, Um, Pro Fools as one of my friends calls it. So the recording technology has given you where there used to be maybe a thousand albums a year or a month that would be released in the 90s. Now there are probably 50,000 albums that are released every month around the world. And that's I think that's saturated the market. And I think there's a lot of shit out there. And I think there probably always was, but I think there's a lot more crap out there just by the, by the nature of the fact there's more music, but also social media has made things, as I said, a lot easier, a lot easier to get the word out, a lot easier, easier to target people who might specifically be interested in your kinds of music, whether it's through Facebook ads or Instagram or YouTube or Spotify or any of the, you know, multitude of ways to be able to, be genre specific in terms of promotion of your music as an old publicist, which is what I used to be. There wasn't anything like that. There were magazines and and that was really it. And radio stations. And of course, radio stations wouldn't give you the time of day back then because they were dominated by the major labels. Well, now they're a little more independent because they're competing with terrestrial radio. Isn't the only thing it's satellite radio, it's internet radio. It's, it's all of the streaming services. So things have opened up quite a bit. And I think that's at least one of the positives. And I know that these are kind of obvious answers. Anybody that's been around a little bit and remembers anything about music before the early 2000s understands, um, you know, Sean Parker really changed the game, right? Napster really came along and, and yeah. uh, I think they probably still owe me like $32 from all the stealing of my music they did back in the, <laughs> you know, between them and Spotify and iTunes and everybody else. I think I probably have a fat check for like, you know, 19 cents floating around out there somewhere. So um, anyway, those are, those are the, those are the things that I see. And it, I do have an advantage of having my foot in both worlds, you know, the analog world of the nineties and then the super digital world of t- 2020 and promotion and recording and everything else. So I feel like I kind of have a good sense of how things have changed but by the same token they're changing so quickly all the time that it's really hard to kind of get your arms around it and see where things are going next and to kind of predict the trend so again at the end of the day i just say fuck it make music and hope people like it and and then they'll, and then let the rest of the professionals do what they do best 
Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with there's a million things out there right now because I'll get um, some EPs or album sent to me and I'll listen to it. I'll be like, what the hell did they record this on? Like a fucking potato? Well, how do you and I feel like, like, I mean, how many submissions? I'm, I'm super curious. It's like, because you got a fairly popular thing going and then you've got a good, you've got good traction on Facebook. So how many releases in a given month are sent to your office? Oh God, it, uh, I don't even know. Like on the week, if we're talking about albums, I probably, I don't know. It would depend. It depends on, um, I guess, what PR companies people work through and stuff like that. Um, this week, I think I've gotten probably ten. Okay. Like from Monday, um, and that's just albums to review. Um, press releases, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Probably ten to twenty a week, depending on the week. And is that pretty consistent, uh, though? I mean, over 365 days, you're getting you know, 3,600 albums a, um, a year or something like that, or 5,000 albums a year. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, probably. And it, it, like I said, it depends. Like right now, I'm obviously not getting the traction that I normally do because nobody's doing, well, I don't want to say nobody, but there's not a lot of people out there doing stuff right now because of the virus. I sure. kind of just want to take time off, and I totally get that. But when we're hustling, like I, I have a really good team behind me. Eve um, is like my right arm yeah. man, per se. Um She's a great person with putting stuff up for me when I need it. And I, I love her to death and I, I would lose my mind without so, her. So let me ask um, you this though, Em. So, and then now the tables have turned, right? I'm interviewing you. Sorry, but that's just the, I love the way this. The no, goes. you're fine. I love this. This is great. So let me ask you this. How do you, maybe this is good for artists to hear. How do you separate the wheat from the chaff? Like, how do you decide what gets your attention? Is it album art? Is it the press release? Is it the source from where it's coming? Are you more likely to to listen or pick up something from a trusted PR company or from the artists themselves? Like, how did you find me? How did you decide that you know Little King is a band that I want to that I want to talk to and review? I'm really I'm super curious about that. Okay, well, the first thing that I always look at is if I get an album or a press release sent to me and everything is in Dropbox, I usually instantly delete it. Interesting. Um, and I'm just going to be totally honest with that. And if anybody gets mad at me, I'm not even sorry about it at this point. <laughs> it's really irritating to me because I have to go in and usually I'm looking at stuff on my phone as everybody does. And as far as I know, everybody in the industry is the same thing I yep. do. They get stuff sent to them. Oh, okay. Here's a Dropbox link yeah. and I'll click on it. And there's a million different files in there. I am not going to sit there and go through all these files. And it's usually some vague email like, hey, I'm in this band and we play music. You should check our stuff out. And I'm just like, no, like, don't send me like a million and five things when I, you aren't even really telling me what you do. Because that just tells me that you aren't really interested in getting your band out there. You're just like mass sending out. So emails. would you prefer like a personalized sort of almost like a cover letter and then some links in the follow-up email, I mean, I don't even know how my PR agents do. I've got two publicists. I've got one in the UK and I've got one here and they're great. I love them and they're awesome people and they've done a great job. But I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I knew what their process was. I mean, we have a one sheet. It's got our highlights, it's got interviews, it's got song titles, it's got, you know, links to press and things like that. But short of that, I, I don't know what their process looks like. So yeah, usually like what I'm used to getting, and this is always gets my attention is I'll get It'll be some sort of a photo, whether it's a promo photo of the band, an album cover, whatever. Yeah. And then there's information on the band. Okay, they're an alternative rock band from wherever. Right. And they are promoting whatever they're promoting. Like, you're, you, you guys are still, you're still kind of promoting your EP from last right. year. So I remember that was like a big talking point. So, okay, what do you want? 
like, and I hate to say it like that, but it's like, okay, <laughs> what do they want? Do they want a review? Yeah. Do they want an interview? What, what are they kind of going for per se? Um, so I guess that's kind of how I make my mind up is how, how professional it looks. And I've gotten more professional EPK sent to me directly from like lower level bands in Pittsburgh, um, like underground bands in Pittsburgh that send me, okay, we're promoting um, this, this single that's off of our new album. Here's our EPK. If you're interested, please let me will know. You listen, I love- will you listen to everything or will you listen to only the stuff that has gotten to you through, like you said, like a nice uh, EPK or a nice one sheet or whatever? Um, or do you listen to most everything that's sent to you? I listen to most everything that's sent to me. I check it out and see. Um, it, 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 like I said, it depends on how it's sent to me. So if someone sends me a single, obviously that's the first thing I'm going to listen sure. to. And if I absolutely hate it, I, I kind of like, if I think that they're good and I think that it could be a different genre, I send it to one of my other reviewers that work for me. Um, but because I'm, I'm not really, I have a very open mind when it comes to music, obviously doing this work. So, um, yeah, no, for sure. I definitely listen to it and keep an open mind, but if it, if it sounds thrown together and it sounds like you recorded it in your mom's basement, I'm not really going to. And you send me a bunch of files in a Dropbox, and it's like, oh, here's our stuff. Have fun. Then I'm kind of like, eh. We try to do things. As, I mean, again, I have a background as a publicist. That was my business in the early 2000s. And I try to adhere to the most professional standards that I can. And when I say I don't know what my publicists are doing, that's not entirely true because any digital media, whether it's a, a one sheet or an EPK or you know where the files are or what the artwork obviously looks like or band photos, all that stuff's been pretty meticulously put together. There's nothing that hasn't been approved by me. There's nothing that, you know, there's no format that I, right. that I don't understand. But I try to adhere to the same standards that a major label or a major indie would, would adhere to. And, and that means to me, or I would hope that you get taken as seriously as you might take you know, or it might be making more likely, I would say, maybe not taking it seriously, but more likely say, wow, these guys look like they have their shit together. Maybe it's actually worth checking their songs out because it's probably going to be recorded pretty well and sound pretty good, even if it's not my thing, because the rest of their stuff looks good. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely fair yeah. to say. And I also don't really I don't I don't have that whole higher standard kind of thing with bands because I've found a lot of um, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of um, like the lesser known bands or the underground bands or bands that are signed to a label and not really getting the support they should be have amazing music. Yeah. But, and I'm like, how do you guys, how, how's no one found you guys yet? So I always try to make a point to listen to whatever I have sent to me, um, whether that be a press release or whatever. And that's not really, it doesn't matter if it's lamb of God or little King, you know yeah. what I mean? It, I always try to make sure everything's sent. And that's one of the reasons I have so many reviewers on my website so we can cover different genres and it's not, it, it's not biased because I'm not necessarily that big into like death metal or speed metal or anything like that um, personally, right. but I have a reviewer that he specializes in that's that. Not- so they get a fair assessment from his perspective. Cause if I listen to it, it all sounds the same to me. Cause I don't, I'm not into that genre. Um, I'm more into like alternative rock, grunge, different subgenres of rock like that. A little bit of metal, um, some rap. Sounds whatever. like you and I are the same but person. Have- I mean, that's exactly, you know, and I like metal too, but I mean, it sounds like, well, it sounds like Little King music is kind of what right up your alley. It makes more sense that that would come to you than it would, you know, somebody else maybe on your staff because 
were sort of alternative rock with a little metal bent and maybe a little grunge. I mean, I grew up in Seattle, so I've got that in there. It's interesting. Very, very interesting. And it's cool that you give everybody a fair shake. I mean, not obviously everybody's different and a lot of publications are overwhelmed. It's been really cool this time though, M, to see, because I haven't really done major publicity in like six years for, because that was my last record was an EP and it was, you know, six years or five years ago. So, you know, I haven't really done a ton of publicity since then. And things have changed a lot. There's obviously there are a lot more venues or a lot more, um, you know, a lot more mediums, I should say, to send your music to. But the receptivity has been really good this time. And I don't know if it's just because people have heard of us now or because we've got good publicity, publicists working for us. I don't know. Fascinating to see the differences this time as opposed to last time. But I think I've kind of got some stuff figured out. It feels like I do. Um, you know, yeah. we're making another record. Like, I'm, as I told you, you know, we're damn the torpedoes like full speed ahead doing it i've got six new songs that i love already and it's going to be weird because we've got these five songs from the last ep and three from the previous that have really never been played live only than other than a couple times so like all of a sudden i'm gonna have like all this new music next time we finally hit the road and i was like what the how the hell am i going to choose amongst all those songs this is what we're going to play live like those are all my children <laughs> you know it's like which children are going to be left at home so uh, yeah, it's like trying to like pick your favorite oh child. Like, how do you 50 do that? Plus songs in, like I'll be fifty some odd songs into my career, and like, and obviously like half of them just don't make the cut right away. But the other half of them, I I mean, some of them I can't sing as well as I used to because my voice has changed over twenty five years, and some have don't have as much. I would say meaning as to, to me now as when I wrote them. Some of them have more meaning even now than they did when I wrote them. There's a song from '98 called Bloodline from from Time Extension, which is a sort of at the time was was a fictional account of having a son and having a daughter when I only really had a daughter at the time. And, you know, my son was born, you know, 10 years after that song was, was written, but singing bloodline now and playing that, it has more meaning than it ever could have back in the day. So that one definitely makes the cut, but then I've got some other songs about, you know, songs to my first ex-wife and shit like that. Those are clearly, <laughs> clearly not making the cut, you know, this time around. Yeah. It's like, clearly I don't want to sing well, this or again. I, do. Like, I don't want to revisit Like this. we got one like Narcissus and Echo and, and God bless her. You know, I love her. She's Isabel is her name and she's great. And we have a good friendship and she's remarried and moved on, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But that song stays in the set. Cause I always like <laughs> the, the, the closing lines are, um, you fade out, you know, you reap what you sow, you hear the ringing voices and you know that it's me singing, I win and you lose. Like, how can I not sing that at every show? Like, there's just no way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you get everyone just so hyped up. It's like, yeah, fuck that. Ex. Like, they don't even know. Like, Love you. <laughs> like they're there with their girlfriend and it's like, I still want to like, I want to break up with my girlfriend right now because of Yeah, this right. Song. This is the one that does it. I'll push you right over the top. <laughs> Oh man. Oh, the life of a musician. But what are you going to do? It's, it's a lot more fun uh, to do things that way. And it's so cool to have that many songs, honestly, to choose from. Some of them are really challenging to play and that's great and fun. But when you're playing an hour set or, you know, 50 minute set or even an hour and a half in some cases, you got to choose carefully. You got to be able to pace things along. You have to, I'm, we're a dynamic band. We're not a heavy band. So uh, I, I like the quietest of the quiet and the loudest of the loud and then kind of all points in between. So from that standpoint, having that much material, being able to put a set list together almost, um, you know, the way I put a record together with the way I put an album together with high points and low points and, and push and pull and kind of taking your audience on a little bit of the journey. That's really fun. And, you know, it'll go back and listen to some of the songs because I don't spend a ton of time listening to my old songs, to be honest with you. It's embarrassing to me. I don't like it. I don't like yeah. it. I don't, I don't want to be that guy that's got my own music on in my car all the time. I know, I know that guy <laughs> and that gal, and it's, those aren't my people. But 
it's fun to go back and listen to things that are from 20 some odd years that I probably haven't even heard in 10 years. And you sit there and you go, God, that one really has merit. That one sounds great. Or, oh my God, what a fucking disaster that was. What were you thinking? So getting rid of the disasters and culling, you know, 20 songs, I think, which is what I've got now before these new six songs. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do now, but um, it's, it's been fun. It's been really fun. I just, I just hope all this stuff is over soon so we can get out there and hit the road. I want to be out for four months and, and take it because I'm supposed to play live. That's my, that's my passion. And, and this sucks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I miss my um, like two in the morning taco bell runs <laughs> on the way to the B Airbnb. Yeah. Like I'm going to be up until five freaking editing photos. I better get my freaking Baja blast. Right Baja now. blast and then, yeah, that's worse than a hangover in the morning. Oh my God. You know? I know you wake up. It's like, why did I do this? And then I'm going to do it again the next night. Well, I, got anyway. so, I got sober about five months ago. I had some shit go down. And so I just, and I've always been a partier. Like I like to drink, you know, I enjoyed alcohol a lot. Um, no drugs. Like I'm not a drug guy at all. Um, you know, right. I don't consider pot a drug necessarily. So we'll, you know, take that one out of the equation, but I was surrounded in El Paso, especially uh, Seattle too, to a certain extent, a little bit in California, but El Paso, there's a huge cocaine town because there's, it's right on the border. So there's a lot of coke that comes back and forth across the border. I think it was even more than Miami. I think it was the largest cocaine trafficking border city in the world for a time. And so they're surrounded by a lot of hard drugs in my life and as, as a musician, but it just never appealed to me at all. Um, I like having control of my body. Uh, I'm pretty up all the time anyway, so I don't really need something to explode my heart. So stuff like that. And then the gnarly shit like heroin and meth and all that stuff just never appealed to me whatsoever. So I've always liked alcohol and pot, but now I am completely and totally clear and sober and it's, and I'm almost 48. I'll be 48 in a week. And so it's really a trip. It's an experience to go through something that I haven't really experienced probably since my early twenties, which is absolute clarity and sobriety. So the approach to my life and parenthood and the running a business and to, you know, every day, a shit in my life, paying bills and cleaning the house. Cause I'm a single dad, you know, I take care of my son. Uh, more than 50% of the time. All of these things have taken on so much different meaning and a different slant now that I literally don't ever have to deal with a hangover. Um, it's blissful, honestly. Like I've had my share. So the music thing, these songs have been written from, the new ones have been written from a place of sobriety. And I'm not going to beat that horse too much, you know, especially within the lyrics and things like that. I don't want to be a preacher or a proselytizer like those people. Annoying as fuck right. and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I will say, you know, I will make mention of that in, in the lyrics. It's going to be in there. And boy, it's a trip. And so the thought of being able to go back out on the road and knowing how I'm going to feel every morning and getting a full eight hours of sleep and, you know, traveling a little better than we used to travel in the past in the back of vans, you know, sleeping in bathtubs and shit like that. It's going to be a diff going to be a different yeah. experience. I'm really excited about it. I mean, excited, excited about my life at this age to have some clarity and to, and, and to feel as good as I feel. But I'm also really interested and curious as to see how that pervades your, how that, how that changes my approach to music and changes my approach to touring. Hopefully, you know, it's better for me. It's more sustainable. Uh, I mean, we used to go out on three week runs and play 20 shows in 21 days. And I know you've done that and you know the toll that that can take on a man and never oh, yeah. mind, you know, if there's substance abusing all the time. Uh, so I'm trying to make this sustainable girl. Like I want to be, you know, doing this in five, 10, yeah. 15 years into my sixties, like my heroes have been doing. So to me, I think I, the only way that that would ever be a possibility is to kind of live clean. Like I'm living now. And it's now, like I said, I'm not preaching to anybody, but boy, it's been a, a transformation that I can't, I can't say enough about. It's really been pretty amazing, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely rough when you're, um, 
on the road and you're just you just get caught up like okay yeah i want another drink let's do this and it's like oh god i have to tomorrow and doing that consistently over a certain period of time it just wears your body down i definitely i'm another drink guy i mean that's who i've been for most of my yeah 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 you know and i like to do that whole thing like i like the party and scene and i like to pick up women because i've been single you know most of the time at least certainly the last seven years and and so you know it's a social lubricant right it's easier to be social with the opposite sex i think for a lot of people and i mean again that's an excuse and it's a default position which sucks but to me as much as i put into the lyrics and the meaning of songs and things like that there's the rock and roll side of the lifestyle too which i've really liked and really enjoyed but you know as you get to be in your mid 40s and and now god i mean my late 40s it takes its toll like the hangover was two days long girl it's like fuck that can't do it yeah not gonna do it and never mind trying to be productive it's like trying to get your ass up in the middle of the day to to get the basics done like go grocery shopping or something not possible with a massive hangover so i think i just you know out of necessity i've just kind of shut all that stuff down and and you know relationships with women are overrated anyway the hell with all y'all i'm staying in my house i'm hiding yeah. under my covers until it's yeah gone. yeah no i feel that it's like oh we ain't doing this anymore i'm just gonna go about yeah, my, business. my business like fuck thank this you shit. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i'm just gonna handle my shit no i totally relate to that because i remember um i had like one of my last shows of 2019 it was um in cincinnati the first week of december and i woke up the day after the show and i was like and I'm 23 and I'm like, I'm getting too old. Yeah, well, give it 25 years. And yeah, I was like, it, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I need to like slow down on drinking. And this was literally a thing that I had just happened to me recently. I'm like, I need to like calm the fuck down because I'm literally 23 feeling like I'm going well, to die. And this is well, not will, okay. Like, I need would, to like chill out. We have had yeah. in the last, I would say, 18 months dudes that are my age. And again, El Paso is a party town. It is, there's not much to do there. It's a border town. Um, it's a drinking town. The people that I party with from El Paso drink more and harder and in more quantity than any other place that I've been or lived. So, and, and believe me on that, cause I've been everywhere and I've partied everywhere and El Paso just is a different, it's a right. different animal. And we've lost, you know, three or four, four now really good friends that are all my age, all due to alcohol and substance abuse and right in, you know, boom, 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 boom. And these are people that I was close to and they never stopped girl. Like they just kept going and kept going and kept going. And so now they're dead. Uh, and that's, that was an eye opener. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the things that put me in the direction, sent me in the direction I'm in now, but at 23, you feel, you know, you're my daughter's age, which is funny. And you feel like you're sort of invincible and you sort of feel like, well, the time will be there. You know, I'll have time to slow down and to stop. And what happens is the older you get, the more quickly time goes. And, and this, I used to, as I told you, I used to teach English. And this is one of the things I used to teach my students who are 16 and 17 and totally invincible, right? At that age. And I used to say the spiral of time works like this. A year to somebody who's five years old is literally one twentieth of their, or, you know, one fifth of their life. The summer is one twentieth of, of a five-year-old's life. And so that's why the summer seems to last forever when you're a kid, right? Because it's all mathematics. It's all time passing as a relative equation. It's, it's relative to what you've already experienced. So when you're 23, a year is one twenty-third of your life. Well, to me, it passes twice as quickly because I'm twice as old as you. So the older you get, the more quickly time goes and it goes faster and faster in a sort of a spiral. So by the time you're 80 or whatever, if you're lucky to get that old, it goes by like nothing. A year passes by like nothing. And again, it's all a basic mathematical kind of relative equation. So when I tell you at age 23 that it goes quickly, it's a yeah, yeah, dad, whatever. I mean, that's my daughter. Although she's starting to feel it and see it now, you know, a little bit. But but boy, I can yeah, remember yeah. 23 like it was yesterday, my friend. And it goes so quickly. And so time extension, that album that I put out in, 90, in 98, um, 
was about that very thing. It was about the passage of time and wanting to be able to extend time. I've always sort of had this acute sense of the passage of time and making sure that I pack as much shit in as I possibly can. I want to make sure that I leave a legacy, make sure that I have a good time, that I have a lot of different experiences and more than anything that I'm productive. I want to be as productive as I can be. And so that knowledge and that sort of feeling, I knew I was coming to this place even 25 years ago, Em, and now here I am at that place. And it's amazing because as much as you know it's coming and as much as you want to slow things down and, and freeze time a little bit, it's not an option and here I am. And so here I am. So what do you do with that? Well, you reflect and say, okay, I was right. And it makes me even more motivated now. I've got more energy now than I've ever had to, to kick some serious ass and to keep being more productive than I've ever been. It doesn't slow down for me. It speeds up. And so I'm trying to keep pace with my own expectations, I would say, at this point. Yeah, yeah. Being able to definitely um, keep pace and keep your eyes kind of on the prize to a degree. And that was definitely, that's kind of crazy. We both kind of had a similar, oh, I need to like slow down, even though we're definitely at various yeah. ages here but i i had that like oh i i want to like i want to be 40 still doing this like i don't want to be like having to quit because my i can't well, stop and drinking so and i definitely get insidious, that. right like you don't really realize the effect it's having on you and it starts to become habitual um i don't know if i'm an alcoholic or not i don't even really know necessarily what that word means like i know for a fact that um, the state of Delaware recommends right now that I don't drink. So there's that. But um, yeah, I also know that I didn't have any physical symptoms of withdrawal when I stopped drinking. I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't craving it. I don't have any cravings at all. Like I don't, I sort of have like psychological and abuse, meaning when I think about alcohol or I smell it or see it, I'm kind of like, it doesn't really appeal to me at all. So what if for whatever reason, I'm, I'm one of the luckiest, yeah. but you know, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to preach to anybody. Like, I don't, you do what you do. You, everybody's, I'm, I'm a libertarian. Right, right. So, right. You know, everybody lead their own life in the manner, as long as it's not hurting anybody else, lead your life in the manner in which you choose. But I can tell you that as I look back at my life, the dumb shit that I've done and the mistakes that I've made, and whether it's relationships or just situations, career situations, situations with, you know, with legal entanglements or whatever it is, those errors were 99% of the time fueled or at least, you know, urged along by, by the misuse of, of alcohol. And that realization in conjunction with the physical stuff and my friends dying and all the other shit has gotten me to the place I'm at. So if you can have that epiphany at the age that you're at right now, and yeah, I'm not saying, God, you should stop drinking, like don't drink anymore, but at least the realization of it, the right. understanding of it, the perception that maybe it's, it's, it's not the best thing for you. You're way ahead of the game. You're certainly way ahead of, of where I was at your age for sure. Cause I was full throttle when I was 23. Yeah. Yeah. Having that realization of, okay, I'm not necessarily going to never drink again and I'm never picking up any alcohol again. I am like now a child of God. <laughs> That's not where I'm trying to go right now. But like having that realization of, okay, I need to slow down is definitely something I feel lucky that well, I have. You sound like a hustler. Sure. You sound like you want to get some shit done in your life and there's no question that alcohol and substances and things like that are an impediment to your achievement of whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, it may not be a huge impediment and it may not, you know, derail you necessarily, but uh, you can certainly accomplish more when you feel awesome every morning. There's no question about that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this has been a great therapy <laughs> session. I'll Honestly, send you my bill, my, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this has been one of my favorite episodes that I, I have recorded this whole quarantine and I will definitely say that. Thank you so much for coming on talking you to me. Got Ryan. It. You I gotta really get a hold of me anytime it. and good luck with your move to New York. I have uh, friends up there, so if you want to hit me offline, we can talk a little bit more and maybe I can set you up with some people for sure. 
That would be awesome. I will definitely Sounds do that. Great, Thank Take you care. so much.